and welcome back to another episode of Court Jesters. We are two licensed attorney from the state of Michigan that like to talk about the law in a fun and lighthearted way. I'm Kate. I'm Melissa. And this week we're talking about board games. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually am going to go a little bit in reverse today, starting with self-care, mm. uh, which is very short, simple. Turn off your devices and play a game. Or mm. turn on your devices so that you can play remotely. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> kind of goes both ways. But the, the intention is to connect with people and have fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I also do not have any weird law this week. But I do have four um, weird board games that I found that involve Ooh. the law. And some of these I I at least want to play at least once. Uh, yeah. Some I might have to buy. Um, the descriptions I have are from BoardGeek or BoardGameGeek.com. Um, so the first one's called Blind Justice. It's the Ooh. game of lawsuits using 168 condensed versions of actual damage claims in the U.S. courts as players represent the plaintiffs and defendants. As they win or lose cases by skill or chance, players rise through the court system and win by getting lots of money. The box says you'll enjoy hours of hilarious and educational entertainment. Hmm. So this is going in my wish list. (laughs) (laughs) This other one I also want to at least play once. It's called Lawsuit! Exclamation point. (laughs) So I will will always say, Lawsuit! (laughs) (laughs) All right, so Lawsuit! Is an educational game for adults and children ages six and up. So I definitely will enjoy this. <laughs> Players experience and learn about the law as they make their way through law school, pass the bar exam into their own law practice and the courtroom. So it's basically the game of life, but for lawyers. <laughs> and I'm like, why didn't I play this before this? Right. <laughs> a lot like work but i just i gotta try it once it's for ages six and up right it's gotta be a little fun at least like (laughs) we have to like have some sort of game night at least yeah with some some of our lawyer lawyer friends and just have lots of wine and see (laughs) see where the night takes us all right uh so these are more of like i don't know about um this one's called lawyer up a two-player asymmetrical card game players take on the roles of attorneys facing off against each other in a courtroom case One player takes on the role of the prosecution and the other takes on the role of the defense. Each case has its own unique mechanisms and story from murder to racketeering. Players start with discovery where they will go through all the evidence (laughs) of the case and draft what they think is important for them to win. Then players will take turns calling and questioning witnesses, building arguments by chaining together cards with the same symbols and earning influence. Attorneys then spend their influence to sway the bias of the jury to their side of the argument. So I'm like, that's too much like work. Right. <laughs> and then also, I don't understand how you win. If it's a two-player game and you're arguing right. against each other, like, is it is it a game for two players in front of, like, a jury? Like, I don't, right. I don't know. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, so I I don't care to find out though. Right, <laughs> that doesn't sound fun. <laughs> I think this is more of a game for like non lawyers or right. like high school students. Maybe I don't know. Right, it's just kind of experience. Yeah, yeah. Um. All right, and so the last one I have is called the Lawyer's Game. Your chance to be a judge, part of the jury, and a defense lawyer in a courtroom drama that will crack you up. Starring such notorious criminals as Mr. I. M. Greedy, accused of insider dealing. <laughs> 
Xerox Van Gogh accused of forgery <laughs> and Princess Kleptomania of Kuwait. Anyway, so Princess Kleptomania is accused of shoplifting. You will be working with a choice of nearly 40 dubious defendants. This is the part that's great. Any actual knowledge of the law may be a handicap, so top lawyers will probably do well. <laughs> I'd also like to add in a few judges. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Okay. All right. So my main topic, actually, what I wanted to do was find a case, a family law case, because Mm -hmm. I've been trying to get back there. It's something I'm more familiar with. Um, Yeah. And also, I just think is the most entertaining. Like, Mm -hmm. it's just always drama, which I love. So um, I actually found in, I guess it's an article from May of 2022, top 10 games that lead to divorce. Oh, no. Um, and this was, <laughs> this is by OnBuy, which is a UK online marketplace. It seems to be very similar to Amazon, but like mm. local to the UK. Oh, okay. Um, and they asked 1,225 British people which game most likely is most likely to end in divorce. They also asked some follow-up questions as well. Such as, have you ever lost a game on purpose to please your partner and prevent an argument? Yes, 27%. No, 72%. Hmm. So people, they don't, they're cutthroat. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever stopped playing a game with your partner because it would lead to an argument? Yes, 37. No, 74. (laughs) Or 64. So that's a little bit less. All right. Have you ever broken up with a partner after a board game argument? No, 59%, which oh. means, but here's the kicker. No, but we were close, 35%. Oh, okay. <laughs> and yes is only 6%. Oh, okay. I was going to say, that's a lot of people that have broken up over board games. Uh, there was that third option. No, but right. <laughs> All right. So they then have the top 10 list and then they have a percentage. So if the percentage represents those that admitted to arguing at least once due to the game. Mm. So I'm going to go in reverse order. So number 10 is Catan or Catan. I think it's Catan or Settlers of Catan. Uh, 38% admitted to arguing at least once due to the game. Hmm. Uh, nine is chess. 10 is something called diplomacy. Hmm. Seven is taboo. Six is risk. Oh, I should say the percentage. So chess was 42%. Diplomacy, 59%. Taboo is 63%. Number six is risk at 67%. Number five is trivial pursuit (laughs) at 70%. Um, I don't know that I've ever argued during trivial pursuit, but yeah, I mean, we've had discussions like we've had arguments in jest, I guess you would say. Yeah, we just end up cracking up. Um, Four is something called articulate, which is 71%. I'm guessing it's something more local to the UK. Yeah. Uh, number three is Scrabble, 77%. Again, though, like, you argue over, that's not a word. Right. (laughs) But is that really an argument or just a disagreement? Uh, Right. (laughs) Uh, number two is Monopoly at 81%, which I'll come back to. And number one is something called Cluedo. Do you, have you heard of Cluedo? I've heard of it. I don't know what it is, really. Okay, I don't either. It's 87%. 
Um, but I don't care to know. <laughs> right. Calls us that much of a problem. Like, come on, no. <laughs> um, but I thought Monopoly it was interesting. I think everyone kind of thinks of Monopoly as the game where everyone ends and everything ends in a fight. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so why does Monopoly have that reputation? Well, it actually is designed to end in fights and arguments. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this is great. So, like any good family game should be. <laughs> <laughs> so, Monopoly has the best, the most interesting history of any board game, I think, <laughs> ever. Um, I mean, I don't know the history of most board games, but mm-hmm. um, Monopoly is juicy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, the Monopoly are, so I have to say this had to look this up so you know how most people say like tm tm Mm -hmm. that symbol actually means trademark pending Mm. and it has no legal authority but Mm -hmm. the r symbol in the Mm -hmm. circle means that there is a registered trademark so monopoly Mm -hmm. usually has the r symbol Mm -hmm. next to it i'm just not going to say r every time because it makes sense. yeah okay so monopoly is derived from the landlord's game which has some similarities to the basic rules of the board game, uh, and I might pronounce this incorrectly, I apologize, Zone Ah, uh, Zone Al, I don't know, um, uh, played by the Kiowa Indian tribe. Hmm. Ki- no, played by the Kiowa Indian tribe. I had to look up the pronunciation. It's, Ki- mm-hmm. it's K-I-O-W-A, and that is mm-hmm. the Kiowa. Kiowa, Kiowa Indian tribe of Oklahoma is what they're federally recognized as. So that mm-hmm. is their, because like some sources just said Indians of North America. I'm like, I don't yeah, think that's correct. Um, yeah. Anyways, so everyone kind of now attributes Monopoly being based on the landlord's game, but I thought it was very interesting that, like, if you, um, it's basically like the board itself, the idea of the board mm-hmm. kind of, it's just, some elements are similar. It's not like the entire yeah. copy, the, the entire thing was copied from this Indian tribe, but um, it was just interesting that they had that connection. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, the landlord's game was created by uh, Elizabeth Maggie, uh, later married with the last name Phillips. There's so many Phillips. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> seems like we're talking about today, but Lizzie Maggie in the United States in 1903 as a way to demonstrate that an e- economy that rewards individuals is better than one where monopolies hold all the wealth and to promote the economic theories of Henry George. Mm-hmm. Uh, the game was then used by college professors and their students. And there's other variants um, called the fascinating game of finance or just finance that was published in the Midwest in 1932. And also it became really popular amongst Quakers. Um, the game was known amongst Quakers as monopoly. Hmm. Um, So the landlord's game originally had two sets of rules, one with tax and another on which the current rules are mainly based. When Parker Brothers first published Monopoly in 1935, the game did not include the less capitalistic taxation rule, (laughs) resulting in a more aggressive game. By the 1970s, the idea that the game had been created solely by Charles Darrow had become popular folklore, and it was printed in the game's instructions for many years. Uh, and then eventually Parker Brothers was absorbed into Hasbro in 1991. So Charles Darrow, I think, is hilarious, too, because even in this court case I'm going to discuss later, the court um, made a typo in 
called him um, Clarence Darrow, like the famous mm-hmm. U.S. lawyer. <laughs> it was the first time I read that. I was like, what? Charles Darrow? Like the lawyer? <laughs> Invented right. Monopoly? <laughs> I was like, no, it's Charles Darrow. Is he? All he does is, uh, I guess, steal ideas and make board mm-hmm. games. And, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and Clarence Darrow is the famous American lawyer. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, I just thought it was funny that that ended up in the court record. <laughs> All right. So this court case, though, I'm going to talk about is called Anti-Monopoly Incorporated versus General Mills Fund Group Incorporated court case that lasted from 1976 to 1985. Jeez. All the different appeals. So nine years, <laughs> almost 10. Yeah. Um, and then General Mills was like the parent company of, uh, at the time, Parker Brothers. So that's why mm-hmm. it's General Mills. Um, so this case is actually why we actually know the correct history of the hmm. game of Monopoly and not this Charles Darrow crap. Yeah. Um, so starting in 1974, Parker Brothers attempted to suppress publication of a game called Anti-Monopoly, designed by San Francisco State University econ- economics professor Ralph Onspach. Uh, and that's spelled A-N-S-P-A-C-H. But I looked it up and it says it's Onspach, so... Hmm. Um, the trial court originally ruled in favor of the Parker Brothers in 1977, and then in December of 1979, the Ninth Circuit, uh, U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, ruled in favor of Professor Onspach, and then the court upheld. So this is the meat of the case was actually in this Ninth Circuit Court the first time. It comes back hmm. a few other times, but uh, the court upheld a purchasing motivation test which was described at the time as in the in the decision as a genericness doctrine mm-hmm. a test by which the trademark was valid only if consumers when they asked for a monopoly game meant that they wanted spe- the specific parker brothers version so this is very similar to like we go to the store and you say i want a kleenex mm-hmm. they know you mean a facial tissue right they're not going to be like, sorry, we're out of Kleenex. We only have whatever brand. Right. Um, so Kleenex loses its trademark. And it's not, this is not, it's weird because it's not really good law anymore. I'll get into it in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of basically what this test is. Yeah. Okay, so then it went back to the trial court, who again ruled for the Parker Brothers. I mean, the circuit court was basically like, no, try again. Mm-hmm. Not a different way. But they said, no, okay, we'll apply this test and you still lose. Yeah. So on Spock appealed again uh, in August of 1982. The appeals court again reversed. And the case was then appealed by General Mills slash Parker Brothers to the U.S. Supreme Court, which decided not to hear the case in February of 1983, which allowed the appeals court decision to stand and further allowed on Spock to resume publication of his game. So that... And effectively ended the case. But Hmm. with the trademark nullified, the game Monopoly entered the public domain where the naming of games, uh, where the naming of games was concerned. Mm -hmm. As a profusion of non-Parker Brothers varieties were published, Parker Brothers and other firms lobbied the United States Congress and obtained a revision of the trademark laws. The case was finally settled in 1985 with Monopoly remaining a valid trademark of Parker Brothers and Onspock assigning the anti or Onspock was assigned the anti-monopoly trademark to the company but retaining the ability to use it under a license. So this is 
all in the settlement. And luckily, we know what happened in this settlement because uh, he later wrote a book about it. And it was it was all mm. pretty public. Um, yeah. So they came to this agreement that we still have this trademark, but we'll let you use it. Mm. Um, and Onspock received compensation for court costs and the destroyed copies of his game, as well as unspecified damages. He was allowed to resume publication with a legal disclaimer. Onspock later self-published a book about the research. Oh, that's why it's so expensive. He self-published mm. a book about his research and legal work fights entitled The Billion Dollar Monopoly R. <laughs> Swindle. And it was written, it was published in October 10th, 2000. It's available new on Amazon for $95.31. Or you can find a used one for around $50. I've been trying to find it at the local library for free, but I'm having issues doing that. Because um, I love the library and I like free. Um, yeah. This book sounds <laughs> fascinating, uh, especially since it's from his perspective. Uh, yeah. So... That is the case, this trademark case, uh, which is pretty cool. And I think just the general history of Monopoly is just Mm -hmm. fascinating. And the fact that it was specifically designed to create frustration. It's supposed to be like, here's what happens when there's monopolies. Isn't this horrible? Here's what happens when you tax and break up monopolies Mm -hmm. and the little guy wins, basically. Right. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, can we go back to that? Right. And I also have to find that game of anti-monopoly and see... Yeah, what fun that is. <laughs> yeah, that sounds better. <laughs> so that's what I have for today. I kind of went in reverse there. So all right, I'm all done. All right. So for mine, I was trying to find something directly related to a board game, like um, either an assault or a murder or something that <laughs> happened. You know, um, I couldn't find anything that was like literally a board game. So I found basically other games. Okay. So not not video games. So we talked about maybe doing mm. an episode on that one day. Um, yeah. I was also but, trying to find a specific divorce case that mm. was initiated by a board game, but I couldn't find yeah. anything like that. So it when I first started searching, a lot of what pops up are related to dice games, which I think is more because you're gambling when okay. you're doing that. Um, but as one example, there was a man sentenced to 35 years for killing his friend over a dice game. Uh, the man was from South Carolina. He did take his case to trial where there was testimony that on March 30th of 2019, a dispute arose between the man and his friend over a gambling bet. His friend that it had accused him of cheating by taking $20 out of the pot the man got so upset by this argument that he left he went back to his car he retrieved his gun and then he shot his friend in the back yeah okay Um, i was shocked when you said 2019 i thought you were gonna say something like the 1500s right (laughs) like i don't know why like that was in my mind of like why you kill someone over a dice game right the olden days but no 2019 2019 yep over 20 dollars over 20 bucks yep and he was found guilty on murder and possession of a weapon during the commission of a violent crime. Um, also notably, rapper Takeoff from Migos was shot and killed in January of 2022 over an apparent altercation during a private dice game at the 810 Billards and Bowling Alley in downtown Houston. Uh, two other people were also taken to the hospital for treatment, but they did survive. I don't know who those people are, and I feel like I should. Oh yeah, <laughs> the only I they have one song called Versace, and just goes like Versace, Versace, Versace. Oh, <laughs> like, <laughs> great music. 
I mean, we went to Rest the Stevie Nicks spell. concert together. Right. So, I mean, that's our time. <laughs> I <music>. mean, yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so my main case for today um, was one called Washington versus George E. Griffith. And so this case all started out around a child's game of basketball. Oh, okay. Um, so in May, it's May 4th of 1975, and a group of children were playing with a basketball in an open area in the housing projects. The ball bounced against the outside wall of a home, which belonged to George E. Griffith. George got mad about this and came out of the house. He said some harsh words to the kids, and he took Get their basketball away. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, he then took the basketball back inside his house, and he called police. A little bit unclear on why we're calling police this early oh, in the story. But he calls police over this. And then shortly after he called the police, but before they'd arrived, uh, two men named William Stillwell and Howard York approached George's home and asked that the basketball be returned. Uh, William Stillwell was the friend of the parents of one of the children, and Howard York's daughter was the one who owned the basketball. So this was the first time that any of the three of them had ever met one another. So while talking, um, according to the court, I probably while arguing, I'm assuming. Well, let me just say, I'm glad that the children are not involved here, but it's disappointing that the parents are. Right. Yeah. I mean, I expect them to, you know, knock on his door and be like, give us the ball back. But. Right. I don't like where this is heading. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um. So while they're arguing on the porch about the basketball, uh, George pulled out a gun and shot Howard York. Uh, Very shortly after that, the police that he himself had just called um, had arrived on scene. And for some reason, he opens fire on them as well. So that part's not explained. Um, Uh, Howard York, sadly. Some mental health issues. Right. Possibly. Right. Um, Howard York, unfortunately, did pass away from the gunshot wounds. Oh, man. So... Yeah, he was just being a good friend. Was he the friend or the um, parent? He was the dad. Oh, so he, he was, was just trying to get his dad. daughter's basketball bag, right? Aww. Yeah. Um. So George Griffith was charged with the murder of Howard York, as well as the second degree assault because of the shots fired at the police car. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Griffith took the case to jury trial and was found guilty on both counts. He appealed it, and the court of appeals also confirmed his conviction. So at this point in the case, it's before the Washington State Supreme Court. Uh, So the big question on appeal had to do with jury instructions and whether Mm. the trial court had erred when it, uh, one, allowed instructions on how excusable homicide and justifiable homicide were not defenses, and two, refused the defendant's proposed instruction for self-defense. So the first thing that the court says is the defendant is entitled to have his theory of the case submitted to the jury under appropriate instructions when the theory is supported by substantial evidence in the record. Yes. So what is this thing? So basically, if someone is charged with a crime and they go to jury trial, they have the right to argue a defense to the jury so long as there's evidence that supports that defense. So therefore, the court is basically agreeing here that if the defendant had a theory that was supported by the evidence then that theory should have been sub- submitted to the jury. So yeah. the question becomes, did they have this evidence to support his theory, which yes. in this case was self-defense? Um, so the Supreme Court first considered whether justifiable or excusable homicide instructions were proper. 
And so these are the exact instructions that the jury was given. Um, The first told the jury that excusable homicide was not a defense. A homicide may be excusable when committed by accident or misfortune and doing any lawful act by lawful means with ordinary caution and without any unlawful intent. In this this case, the, the gun accidentally went off. Basically, right. Yep, yep. Um, In this case, I instruct you that as a matter of law, you may not consider excusable homicide as a defense to the charge of murder. Um, The second told the jury that justifiable homicide was not a defense. Under certain circumstances and conditions, a homicide may be justifiable, that is, one committed in self-defense. None of such circumstances and conditions exist in this case, and I instruct you that, as a matter of law, you may not consider justifiable homicide as a defense to the charge of murder. So the the judge told the jury in their instructions that you Mm -hmm. cannot consider self-defense. It does not exist here. Correct. Right. Well, I understand why he's appealing. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So the Supreme Court first says um, excusable homicide, that the trial is in the clear there. Um, If any of the required elements of excusable homicide are missing, then the defense isn't available. Mm -hmm. And one of the required elements is that a person must have been behaving lawfully at the time, but that George at the very least was failing to exercise ordinary caution Mm. in the discharge of of a firearm. Okay. So therefore he didn't meet all the elements and the trial court was correct in saying that this wasn't an excusable homicide. Um, so it couldn't be a defense for him in this case. I was trying to think of um, an example of this. And one thing that comes to mind is uh, Brandon Lee and the crow. So for instance, he was shot by uh, a blank gun um, oh. on the set and that's how he passed away. So the person who shot him, that would have been technically a homicide, but it was an excusable homicide because, they were acting lawfully. They thought it was a stunt gun. They were just doing their job. Um, and then that's... So do we think that's what Alec Baldwin is going to use? That's what I was about to say. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> yeah. So I'm very interested in keeping an eye on that, too. And I'd like... Maybe we can talk about that case a yeah. little bit more once it progresses. Uh, it's just so early on right now. Yeah. But I think that is going to be his defense, too, is it's accidental. He was using due care. Um, well, I think that's going to be the question, right? Right. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so next, then they examine justifiable homicide. Um, So this is a homicide committed in the lawful defense of the slayer of a family member where there is reasonable grounds to believe that the person slain was committing a felony or doing some other great personal injury to the person defended. So this is basically the same as the argument of self-defense or the defense of others. So Mm. if a person who was killed was in the middle of, say, attacking someone, and then there was a reasonable, reasonable belief that they were going to attack someone, uh, maybe by pulling out a gun, for instance, then the person being attacked or their family member could argue justifiable homicide in that event. Now, you might not know the answer to this, but when they use the reasonableness test, is it Mm -hmm. an average person, their reasonableness, or is it specific to that defendant, whether they thought it was reasonable? I think it's typically the average person. Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought, um, too, but I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there... This one, uh, in this case, it was a little more complicated because George basically had argued that Howard York was threatening to enter his home, which would have been a felonious act. And Mm -hmm. George only responded um, because he was protecting his home is what he's claiming, Um, as well as his family. Exactly, is what he's arguing. Um, His older mother did live in the home, too, so he's claiming he was trying to protect her as well. Okay, I was wondering, where did the fence of others come in? Yeah. Okay. 
So the Supreme Court says that even when they view the evidence in the light most favorable to George, this still just this argument doesn't fly to them. Um, There was testimony at trial that after he had taken the basketball away and called police, he went out to his car and got his gun, which he knew was loaded. Um, Mr. Stilwell and Mr. York were standing on his porch while they talked. And during this talk, Mr. York placed his hand on the door jam um, and he insisted that the basketball be returned to him. So while testifying in his own defense, George said that he displayed his gun because that to him, I guess, was he was claiming York was trying to get into the house when he touched the door jam, basically. Mm, okay. um, so he's saying that he displayed his gun, but then Mr. York continued walking towards him even after he displayed his gun. And then that's when he shot him because he was, I guess, scared at that point, even though you're the one holding the gun. So how are you afraid? I don't know. Um, I don't think the Supreme Court bought this argument in the first place, but they're saying that even if they accept it as true for the sake of argument, um, it still doesn't rise to the level of justifiable homicide. And that's because it's uncontroverted that both Mr. Stilwell and Mr. York were unarmed and they had not engaged in any aggressive behavior and that the first assault occurred when the defendant displayed his loaded gun and pointed it at Mr. York. So even if Mr. York had moved toward George, that wasn't a threat or um of death or great bodily harm, and therefore the felonious act didn't meet the definition necessary to trigger the justifiable homicide instruction. So basically, you can't have the instruction unless you show that there is a violent felony or great personal injury that is going to happen. It gets a little complicated here because I do agree that if he had been trying to break into the house, that's a felony. And of Mm -hmm. course, I don't think George had any business bringing a gun into the situation, but I don't know. I it it is a little if because of the standard ground analysis. And and I feel like too because this is on appeal, it's more of like you have to have a higher burden to overturn the trial court and so they, yeah. they might have just said that the trial court had discretion there. I right. Guess. Yeah. Um, but I don't know gun laws get really confusing to me and I don't know if that's because I use common sense. or if it's like they're just really tricky um but like i've heard and i wish i could remember like specific examples but like you know Mm. there's been cases especially of like minorities people of color women of color that Mm -hmm. have been charged with the unlawful discharge of a weapon when they are like they fire a warning shot Right. right it's like but if they would have just shot and killed that person, they would have had self-defense, understand your ground. But because they did a warning shot, which arguably is safer. Right. Uh, they're getting and – and then they get charged for, like, years in prison. That just right. doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, I hear you. Yeah. Um, Ultimately, what the court does determine um, is that here, even if the defendant's version of the incident is true, a reasonable person could not find that there was imminent danger of great bodily harm to the defendant or his mother. Not... no, I'm sorry, nor was a felony about to be perpetrated upon the defendant's dwelling. At most, Mr. York's attempted entry to retrieve a basketball would amount to an unlawful trespass, which is probably a misdemeanor. Um, I wasn't able to clarify that, but usually that's what trespass okay. is. Yeah. Um, but is clearly not within the felonious action envisioned by the jury instruction or case law. 
And so for the same reasons, essentially, the court also found that the trial court was correct in not allowing the self-defense instruction. They quoted another Washington court holding stating, in order to sustain this assignment, we would be required to hold that a simple assault or an ordinary battery could justify the taking of human life. We are not willing to stand sponsor for such a doctrine. And then the Supreme Court affirmed the trial court's ruling. I don't know. This is a tough case for me, I think. Yeah. Because if I put myself in the shoes of the defendant, Mm -hmm. right, I'm living in the projects. Yeah. I've got my elderly mom in the home. And two men come knocking on my door and threatening me in some way. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And we don't know exactly what happened. I mean, I... I, I see that there might be an issue here with like, yeah, what would he reason? What is he reasonably thinking? And then versus right. like, what would a white person yeah. in the suburb reasonably? That's think? true, right? Exactly. So yeah. I feel like there's definitely an element of some racism here. Um, yeah, and I I do ag- agree. You know, we shouldn't be shooting people for basketballs, right? But I mean, when you look at it like case by case and all the specifics and circumstances around it it always gets muddier yeah yeah i guess my question would be why answer the door at all though or why not shut the door um i just i don't know it just really escalated very quickly yeah yeah Yeah. that's true yeah yeah, his hand was there so that is you know but yeah and then it like got me too like he went to get his gun out of his car like right yeah, that's Yeah, weird. and he knew the police were on the way already, so yeah, why? Yeah, which is like, you called the police. Why do you start shooting? You know the police right. are on their way. And then why do yeah. you start shooting at police? I mean, like, I do kind of get it when yeah. it's like, oh, fuck, I'm a black guy. And the police right. are pulling up, and they see yeah. me with a yeah. gun. Like, I got to def- I mean, I, yeah. I don't agree at shooting with police, but it's like, kind of got to understand, right. you know, black people yeah. in this country. <laughs> Right. To defend and, or yeah, people yeah. running away from police. I completely mm-hmm. understand people went running away from police. They don't right. deserve to get shot in the back because they're running yeah. away. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And my defendant of the week, this one is a video game related one. I couldn't find a board game one, <laughs> but close enough. Um, this one was a British escaped inmate. Um, he busted... I'm sorry, the British escaped inmate was busted after venturing out to buy Call of Duty. So Clint Butler was 36 and he had escaped from jail in November of 2020. He was successfully eluding police by remaining in hiding until the drop of Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. So not only was he out of hiding when he was, you know, supposed to not be in public, but he was also out in public during a lockdown for the COVID (laughs) pandemic. So the police saw him and his friend walking down the street, him and his friend suddenly changed directions. So the police are like, yeah, well, we're going to find out why these people are out. Um, They approach him. Um, He gives them a fake name at first, Mm -hmm. um, but they eventually figure out who he was. And when they asked why he was out, he responded he was out looking to buy Call of Duty. Um, He was taken back into custody after they identified him. Um, And then he is now set to serve the remainder of his 17 year sentence, but he'd already served 14 years. So again, it's like, why did you risk more time? You were almost there. (laughs) 
So he's going to serve the rest of his 17 years. And then he only got an additional two years for the jail escape, which seemed pretty lenient to me. Um, And he'll be serving 19 years altogether for robbery and weapons possession. But another five years from November of 2020 or some somewhere around there. (laughs) You know, he was bored. I guess. (laughs) You know what, though? I hear these stories from other countries like police officers are questioning and arresting people for being out. Right. Yeah. We we didn't do nearly anything close to that in America. And these people that were like, I don't want to wear a mask. Like, you seriously, this is the least you can do. Right. The least you can do. Like, we have people that, you know, were drafted into Vietnam, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to get into that. (laughs) I could. This is a shorter episode, so I feel like I have to fill time. But I mean, (laughs) I think this was a pretty fun one, though. Yeah. We're going to have to do some sort of like game night, though. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Some of those games. Yeah. I will I say have this one. Um, it's like a RPG, which I've never really done one of those either. Like mm-hmm. I've d- I played video games that are RPGs, but never mm-hmm. like a card game. Um, it's called Alice is Missing, and it's like all through text message, and it's like basically trying like to solve a murder. A horror yeah, movie. it's like trying to Ooh. solve where she went or something like that. So yeah, if we have a game night, I'll bring that for yeah. sure. Yeah, I have um. I think it's called Constitution Quest. Hmm. Don't remember. I've only played it a few times because no one wants yeah. to play it with me. <laughs> <laughs> because I win. <laughs> it's it's like Trivial Pursuit, but with like the Constitution and oh, like yeah. the actual text, and then like the, mm-hmm. they have like a Supreme Court section and state oh, section, yeah. and yeah, yeah. So yeah, I just and it's it's like when you keep answering them right, you can keep going. So it's like oh yeah, it's my so turn. Just I get on a streak, yeah. right? <laughs> Oh, that's funny. It's it's funny though. In my family, it's like everyone has their board game that it's like mm-hmm. that's the game where like my brother always wins, and that was like Di- yeah. Disney trivia. Once it was his turn, he would win. Uh, my mom's was Harry Potter trivia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so Aww. it's like okay, we're gonna play this game, and don't get upset because this person's gonna win. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, my family's trying to teach me Pinochle. Do you know how to play that? I do not know how to play Pinochle. Yeah, it's more complicated than it should be. <laughs> Is it like Euchre? Kind of, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Only people from Michigan know how to play Euchre. Right. I think it's pretty much only people from Michigan with Pinochle, too, but mm. maybe the Midwest. But Yeah. Yeah. I know how to play. Oh, actually, I'd have to get like a refresher, but like Cribbage, mm. and which is kind of similar to Gin. I think gin rummy. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know the difference between gin and gin rummy. And then it's like me neither. I spades is basically mm-hmm. the same thing as euchre. Only spades are always trump, and it's like yeah. it makes way more sense. But yeah, <laughs> then you don't have to keep yelling out trump. What's trump? Right? Like, can we stop? Like we need to replace that word in the, in that game. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, All right. we'll have to buy some games and have a game night and live stream it or something yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right well that's all for us this week if you want to email us we do have an email address uh courtjesterspodcast at gmail.com you can also find us on instagram at podcast court jesters 
And remember to always ask for a lawyer. Bye. Bye.